In the name of God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, we ask you, Lord, to bring revelation to us, to open our eyes and open our hearts, make us more like you. Amen. It was at least 20 or so years ago when I was in my 40s, maybe even my late 30s, that I came to perceive the metaphor of my hair and my grasp on reality <laughs> or on the things of God. And I don't mean that I was losing my hair and I was losing my grasp on reality, although that probably works too, actually. There was adjustments and changes that were happening. But you may have guessed it. The older I became, the grayer things became. The more I matured, the less black and white things were. Certainty or believing that one has the right or the inside correct view of reality um, it is really a part of or a stage of the growth process, of the human growth process. Like learning something and locking in on it and finding some security and stability in that. It's true for humans generally, and it's also true in the spiritual life. I want to talk about revelation and mystery this morning from the gospel and from the epistle. The context of revelation, something being revealed, is mystery. That's the context. There is no revelation if you have everything figured out, right? There is mystery. That's the, the context. Not everything remains a mystery. But as we journey on as humans and as followers of Jesus, we must hold this tension. We must never settle and harden in the revelation we've received. But let mystery keep it soft and pliable, keep it motivated to seek, to press on, to press in. Okay, hang in there with me. So revelation. But who do you say that I am? You are the Christ. You are the Messiah. You are the anointed one, the son of the living God. Blessed are you, Simon. You are blessed. A blessing from heaven on you for you didn't figure this out. Flesh and blood didn't reveal it to you, but my Father in the heavens revealed it to you. And then, did you note the very last thing Deacon Dan read? Jesus strictly charged them to tell no one that he was the Christ, the Messiah. I'm not going to 
I, I really want to focus on revelation and mystery and not all the, the details of Peter, the rock, the confession, the keys, the authority, or in the next section on the mystery of Jews and Gentiles. But this important um, kind of posture to grow as a follower of Jesus. When Peter says, you are the Christ, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God, he's saying, you're not just a great teacher. You're not just an amazing healer. You're not just a rabbi worth following and emulating. You are the Messiah. You are the long-awaited, anointed king from God to be the savior of the Jews. I want to note something very obvious here. This is just chapter 16. In Matthew's 28 chapter story about Jesus. So that's a little over halfway. And actually the end, you know, at the end of Matthew 28, there's really another beginning, right? While I do think Jesus' question, I've preached on this passage so many times, and I love it. And when I went on vacation a couple weeks ago, Robert texted me the next morning and said, oh, do you want to take that Sunday off? Because I was scheduled to preach. He said, do, not take it off. He was just like, do you want me to preach? Because, you know, you're just coming off vacation. I was like, no, 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 no. That's my passage. I'm not going to give that up. Um, I, I do think this question is the question of the ages. It is the question every human being will have to give an answer for. I do believe that. And Pierre Peter answers on behalf of all the disciples, and he gets the right answer. But as we'll hear next week, he does not have a clue what it means for Jesus or for him or for his people or for the world. He had a revelation from God that Jesus is the long-awaited, anointed Savior King. And yet, he didn't get it. And at least for a short time, he got hardened in that reality, in that revelation. And again, it's a very human thing to do. It's a big part of my story historically, which some of you know. But revelation can easily become rigidity. And thinking we not only know what's true, but we know everything that that means for me and for the world. And that is, of course, a problem. It undermines flourishing. It undermines community. And it undermines God's reuniting all things project. So now let's move on from Peter to Paul. Many, many years later, writing 
to Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians in the empire's capital city of Rome. This passage concludes um, some very difficult but critically important chapters in Romans, 9 to 11, that are often just completely avoided, frankly. Um, scholars historically have said, we have no idea what got into Paul's mind for these three chapters because it flows so beautifully from 8 to 12. Why in the world does he do this? More and more scholars now are saying, this is the reason Paul wrote Romans chapters 9 to 11. That's beside the point, except to say he's closing this section of 9 to 11. And he says, lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers and sisters. I'm not sure why the text like inverts some phrases here. In the Greek, it, it actually says, I do not want you to be unaware or ignorant of this mystery, brothers and sisters, lest you be wise in your own eyes. So he immediately addresses this idea about this mystery. But here's what I think Paul's saying. Because you're wise in your own eyes, He's being very gracious to say, lest you become wise. Because this is what he's dealing with in Rome, is two groups of Christians, both thinking they have the inside track and they know reality and they know who's in, who's out, or who's better, or who has it wrong. So he's, he's really saying, because you here, Gentile Christians, have become hardened in the revelation that Jesus is indeed the true savior king of the Gentiles and has abandoned the Jews, let me talk about the mystery for a second. I want to reiterate the revelation that I've been talking about for 11 chapters up to this point. One of the ways Paul uses this word mystery in fact, the main way he uses musterion, the word mystery, is basically to say it's no longer a mystery. That's what he's doing here. It's what he does in, the, in that beautiful prayer in Ephesians 1 where he says, it's no the mystery of God's will is no, lo is no longer. God has made known the mystery of his will, which is to reunite all things in Christ. So, He's basically saying, let me help you be aware of this mystery. That Jesus is the true savior king of all the nations, all the Gentiles, and of the Jews. And then he goes into like this amazing and kind of weird way that God's doing that. And that's for another time. If you want to talk about that, uh, I'd love to. Um, but note this, like he starts by saying, let me reveal some of the mystery to you again. Then he ends the whole section in mystery. Did you notice that? Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. 
If you have a Bible, I would turn here. Romans 11, the end of Romans 11. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. There is no submersible that can get down deep enough to explore and discover all the riches of God. How unsearchable are his judgments? How inscrutable are his ways? That's mystery. And then he brings it almost to the complete conclusion by quoting four verses from his Bible, his Jewish Bible. Now, one quick note. In this section of Romans 9 to 11, Paul quotes more scriptures from the Hebrew Bible than in, in terms of quantity per verse, more in 9 to 11 than anywhere else in his writing. And listen to the last, the last three that he shares. Well, I'll read, I'll read all four. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? We've considered Peter and Jesus. We've considered Paul and the Jewish and Gentile Christians. There's another silent, hidden character that Paul is inserting here very subtly. He quotes from the book about him three times, maybe four, actually quoting this person's friends and quoting God. I find it amazingly fascinating that Paul ends this whole section about revelation and mystery by quoting this book of the Bible. It's the book of Job. He's quoting Job's friends and then finally quoting God. Job's friends had become rigid in the revelation they had received. They thought they had it figured out. Their monologues were basically rehashing the book of Deuteronomy. If you're good, you'll be blessed. If you sin, God will get you. And Job struggled too, right? Job, I'm not going to go into all Job. This is going to be very short. Um, Job is 42 chapters long. But, um, you know, Job is frustrated too. And Job is angry with God and taking it up with God. And like, I know this is, the, this is what you've said, revealed, but it's not right. Then God has God's monologue, right? Which is several chapters long. And in the end... Job yields to the mystery, which is God. And God expresses God's anger with Job's friends and says, this is, in the, this is chapter 42, if you want to look it up, last chapter of Job. My anger burns against you and against your friends, for you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. In a few moments, we will say the creed where we say, I believe in God, 
the Father. I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe in the Holy Spirit. And I want to remind us that what we're really saying there is I trust in God who has been revealed to us in this way. What we're not saying in this is a posturing that I believe that God is this. It is more relational and descriptive of that relationship than us asserting we have the facts right about God. Why do I, why do I make a deal about that? Because for, for Job and for Paul, for Peter, well, hang on just one second, sorry. We see for all the people we've talked about, revelation and mystery give way to doxology. In other words, to praise, to speaking to God. Not doxology as denial. Not praise denying what's re our real experience. You know, Paul began, Dick Gabe preached on it two weeks ago. Paul began this whole section by saying, I'm grieving. I, I, I would be cut off for my people if, if they could come to know Jesus. So it's doxology as, and, and Job too, right? Job laments through the whole book and yet finally gives way to praise and trust. So doxology meaning, I, I want to say today, as prayer and lament and thanksgiving. And so we hear these beautiful verses. Paul concludes, for from him, and this is the one who's inscrutable, unsearchable. For from him and through him and to him are all things. All things. All things have their origin in God, are sustained by God, and have their end in God. With all of its uncertainty, with all of its mission houses being burned up, and dear people's homes being set on fire, or whatever you're experiencing that doesn't make sense as one who seeks to love God and follow God. Paul says, God is unsearchable, finally. But from him and through him and to him are all things. Job and Peter finally did not harden in the certainty of the revelation they'd received. But here's maybe an important point, that they stayed engaged. They stayed talking. They stayed arguing. They stayed seeking. They stayed struggling. And even Jesus himself, in the agony of the mystery of God's will, stayed engaged with his father. Not this father. Take it away. Not this. But finally, surrendered. He didn't think, well, substitutionary atonement and uh, example theory and blah, blah. No. He stayed engaged with his father, who he loved with all of his heart 
and soul and mind and strength and surrendered to the mystery of whatever was going to happen tomorrow. Clinging to the revealer, not to the revelation. For from him and through him and to him are all things, including me and my circumstances, you and yours, and everything we hear about every day in our world. So yes, surrender to the revelation. But maybe more importantly, at least today, is surrender to the mystery that can keep pulling and explaining and unfolding what the revelation means. And oh yes, surrender to doxology, to prayer, to lament, to praise, and to thanksgiving, to seeking and knocking and asking, and surrendering. We can trust God. We can trust Jesus, the anointed Savior King of the whole world. Amen.